0: about the people you respect do you respect them because they boss you around and jerk you around and you you know no you don't respect them you actually resent those people right and so like camry said it needs to be a two-way street if it's not a two-way street there is no respect it's just resentment and fear and your horse is working off of those two emotions versus
1: actual respect welcome to the horsewoman project A podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Hello. Hello. So, today's topic is then and now with horses, things that we used to believe that we no longer believe, (laughs) Um, because I think every person is a horse, horse person grows and um, you just learn more as you go and and your perspective changes. So we'll just share some of ours. So I will let Michaela start because she has many much more things than I do. (laughs) So Michaela, jump in.
0: Okay. Well, and we decided I have much more things than you just because I grew up with horses and You did start horses as more of an adult because I was laughing at our notes. I've got about 45 things and Camry's got like five. (laughs) And some of my stuff are, are things that I had when I was a little kid too. So we'll start with that. When I was little, I was told, you know, the white spots that horses get from saddles not fitting correctly and they get that along their back. I was always told that those were their speed spots. So if you touch those, it would make the horse go really, really fast. So I was always really careful not to touch those until I was really ready for the horse to go faster and then I would press it so they'd go faster (laughs) right away (laughs) yeah I have no idea where it came from because I I mean the horse that I had I'm like every time like why isn't he going faster (laughs) I'm like (laughs) pressing (laughs) the white spot working (laughs) the button's broken (laughs) but now I know that those come from misfit saddles so if you notice that coming up on your horse it's Commonly a sign that your saddle's actually cutting off a lot of, or their circulation in that spot, um, which kills the hair follicle thing and turns out white. So that's what those are. They are not speed spots.
1: <laughs> yeah. So actually, that's how we found out that Larry's saddle didn't fit Lola, was after one trail ride, it was probably, oh, I feel like maybe three hours. So not even like an insanely long trail ride. She had white spots after that trail ride and so we ended up switching saddles with her and luckily hers weren't bad enough like it was kind of flecks of white in there so it wasn't solid white but repeated use of that saddle would have made those permanent um, so the next season of when her hair changed um so when they get their winter coat and then their summer coat the next season was when those white spots went away and and we were grateful that they did because we felt so bad because it was just mm-hmm. one ride they were like oh she'll be you know it's a good saddle you know no she has insanely wide shoulders and she's just a, a tank so mm-hmm. the saddle was just a little bit too narrow and white spots all along her back that's <laughs> like, really so interesting
0: <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard about it coming that quickly honestly and then going away because i had a saddle for sandy when she was I got her when she was four that fit great but then when she started actually growing a little bit more it started not fitting and I didn't didn't pick up on it until she got a white spot that now is permanent because it took a long time for it to actually come up um but I do wonder because I think it came up with her summer coat um and I was riding her a lot in the winter in this saddle and then like the next summer it came up and I was like crap I've gotta gotta go buy a new saddle um So it's really interesting because i like i said i don't think i've ever heard of it just coming up in a few hours that's
1: crazy so i think it was actually within the next week like a couple of days um after that so i don't think it was like immediate immediate but it was pretty soon after that we knew it was that Um, Because as soon as we saw that, we were checking saddle fits, you know, and we were putting it on without the pad and being like, okay, which, which saddle is it? And um, for a while, my husband rode her in this trophy saddle, which was the widest one that we had and it fit her well, but it was so uncomfortable to ride in. I mean, it was horrible for the human, um, but it fit her well and her back did really well with that saddle. But then he, my husband got his custom saddle made and that one fits her marvelously and fits him marvelously so we got the 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 winner right there with that but um yeah it's just crazy how much saddle fit can can affect it and then one quick little note with that um my really good farrier um Shane Wilcox told me a trick that he does because he does a lot of he used to do outfitting Uh, for hunters and so they would go on crazy long trails and just have a lot of weight you know packing a ton of things packing their entire camp in and out Um, and he said what he does is after they've been on a long ride he dumps water on their back and that'll take the heat out of their back because the heat just builds up with either a rider and a saddle or a pack saddle and all the things on the pack saddle Um, it just builds up that heat even with your good saddle pads and things that are supposed to be a little bit more breathable Um, and he said just taking that heat off of there will really help where they won't get as sore on their back like that because he said that heat especially if it's a summer day and then the sun is still beating down on it that heat won't go away for hours even after you take the saddle off so he said just dumping that water on there it'll just cool their back right off and so that's we do that every time now after a trail ride i just take my water bottle and dump it over their back
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of those things where I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you do that? No. Because um, that's just something that I was always taught growing up that you that you do that. Though, I will say, too, I'm always really careful about doing it like on their butt end because sometimes that can cause them to cramp. So I always stick to where they're really sweaty. So their cinch area, their saddle area, and try to stay off the really big muscles because having really cold water on those can cause cramping. Yeah. So. Yeah. Awesome. So next. Let's go to yours. Let's just go like go to me and you. <laughs> <than> you. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> um, so I would have to say one of the things it would be treats. Prey animals are not trained by treats because predators are trained by treats because they have to work for their food and prey animals are not. Um, So that was something I was told early on and for some reason stuck with me for quite a while. And um, because I think early on when you get into the horse industry as a little bit more of an adult, you trust what people tell you more because you know nothing. Um, And now I realize how much more nuanced the horse industry is and that you take everything with a grain of salt. (laughs) So. Yeah, that tra- changed a little bit over the years. And then like with Michaela's thing with treats, it's that treats turn horses into biters, right? Which is, okay, let, I guess disclaimer here. It can turn your horse into a biter if you do it wrong, <laughs> uh, yeah. would be the stipulation there. If done right, treats are amazing for horses. So I'll let you go into kind of your thoughts on that one, Michaela.
0: Yeah, well, you and I are very much on the same page with that as of right now. Um Because, gosh, I would say even just a year and a half ago, I was like, no, absolutely no treats. Like, that's just dumb. (laughs) Because, well, and like, I will preface that, too, because like you said, it can. It can do that done wrong. So I would say I'm still 50-50 with that one where I feel like not everyone should give their horses treats because not everyone's going to do it correctly. Um, Where when we say do it correctly, it's you time it in a way where your horse knows like they only get it in this certain situation when their head's in a certain place and they, ne- you know, they never get it when they're reaching for you ever. Right. Um, And so if you're someone who just is like, if they're reaching for you, like, oh, here's more treats, like that can cause more like searching and, and nipping. Um, So yes, it's not 100% of the case. Like you can definitely get around, around making them into biters. It just, you do have to be more aware of how you're giving the treat and how you're presenting it so i would say treats aren't for everybody for sure um and if you tend to be someone who just loves to just treat just because that maybe maybe fall a little bit away from giving treats for for things like
1: that um that that's my opinion so another one that i noticed we had in common which i didn't write down um but you had on there that white legs mean a horse has weak feet Right, and so it's not even just the white legs; it's also the the hoof color, right? So a black hoof versus a pink or kind of white-ish um, hoof. And that they are weaker.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is when I hear a lot from a lot of people, and especially mm-hmm. like buyers and sellers. If that horse has has white legs, it's going to lead to a white hoof, which means they're not going to have good good feet. They're. I was always told that it made their hooves really soft, so they would get lame mm-hmm. really yep. easy. But if you look, and I don't know, I can't remember, <laughs> but there there have been studies that show. No, that's not the case. It's going to be just as just as firm and just as hard as a black hoof. Um, I will say, though, I think because uh, Sandy's got her her back feet have like they're half black, half white. Um, She's got a little white in them. And I will say, like, I can see where it comes from, because in the winter her feet look bruised, her white feet look bruised because of the coldness and, and the blood that's circulating through there where you don't see that with the black feet. So I can see why people are like, oh my gosh, like, look at that foot. It's all bruised. And it's like, well, it's not bruised. It's just, you can see the blood circulation a lot better. Um, Yeah. yeah. So another one that I used to believe in, I would say I believed in up until last year was barefoot is just stupid. You Like, why would you ever go barefoot? That's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I have a, drastically changed my opinion on that and now i am almost on the line where i feel like barefoot's almost a little bit better depending on how you're shoeing um that's my opinion
1: on that one what do you think (laughs) camry yeah i definitely used to think that the only horses that should be trimmed would be like your old ones that aren't being ridden or like in the winter time we'll pull shoes a lot of times because we don't want um the snow to pack in their shoes and make ice skates for them to be walking on um but no it was like if you were riding the horse they were shod and now i i'm not quite as into the barefoot as you are i think you can make your horse happy either way with shoes or barefoot Um, but i definitely am not as against barefoot like right now i had freya barefoot for the whole time she was pregnant because i'm not going to shoe a pregnant mare that I'm not riding you know (laughs) um and she was going to be on good enough footing that she could go barefoot and now her feet have been doing so well barefoot and expanding because she does have she's a pretty petite horse and she had petite feet to match her petite body (laughs) and now her feet are starting to spread out and and just she's doing very very well being barefoot so I'm keeping her barefoot but like my husband's horse Lola she is a team roper and to keep her feet um, the at the angle that we want, where we don't have to trim her like you would on a barefoot schedule every three to four weeks, where we can keep her at a six to eight week schedule, shoes work a lot better. Um, so I think it just depends on the situation, but I'm definitely not as um, against barefoot as I used to be. And I wasn't necessarily against it. I just thought. You just put shoes on (laughs) like that's just what you do Mm -hmm. if you're riding a horse you Mm -hmm. just put shoes on Um, so but now i'm yeah definitely a lot more open to the barefoot
0: yeah i i was in kind of the two camps where i was working with some people who just barefoot was was the best thing ever and then people who were like oh my gosh barefoot is the stupidest thing ever why would you ever do that that's just the worst thing you can do and the problem with what i was is a lot of the people who were doing barefoot that i was around didn't trim correctly so they would end up with duck feet you know that that cracked and and they did have issues and when I learned how to correctly trim for a barefoot trim to make sure that the wall's is actually supporting and not causing issues and those things that's when I really changed my mind um with watching how specifically my navicular horse just thrived being barefoot and and just seeing the changes in his feet and like Camry said like they just grew and were actually the size that they needed because I had a 17 hand warm blood and his feet were smaller than my little 15 hand quarter horse's feet. He had smaller feet than her. And just having him be barefoot for a year, he actually had bigger feet than her. For <laughs> till, till we ended up having to to put him down, but it really changed my mind as far as that goes. But I'm with you. I think... Just because I am not as against barefoot doesn't mean I'm against shoes either. I'm not against shoes. I think shoes have their place. I think they're really good. Um, and just like like with Lola, I feel like shoes would almost be better unless you had unless you were willing to boot all four feet. When they are doing that much running and then stopping, you can wear down a foot pretty quickly. Wear down the soles and wear down the walls. So with my horses, I I do boot them. Um, I, it's not like I'm going. 100% barefoot all the time, I do put boots on them just to make sure that we don't wear anything out and it works well for me. But I'm definitely not against shoes either. Going along with that, we can go into, I used to think that you didn't really have to trim horses until the shoes fell off. That was that was one of the things I had growing up until <laughs> I went to college and actually learned better. But I always grew up around, um, around people and, and guys that they literally didn't call the farrier out until the shoes had either broken in half on the horse's foot. So they were, it was no longer connected or it had just fallen off. And that's the only time we ever called the farrier out. So that was one thing I used to think too, where it didn't really matter. You just wait until the shoes can no longer hold up. And then you call the farrier out. And I have 100% done a 180 on that one. Yeah. Um, And I do believe that horses need regular trimming. I, with my horses being barefoot, I like to trim at least every four weeks, if not a little bit more than that. And if they have shoes, I think, I don't know, I'm changing my mind on that too. I used to think eight weeks was fine, but now seeing how much the foot grows with me being able to manage my own horse's feet, I'm kind of changing my mind on that too and thinking, I still think you should trim almost as much if your horses have shoes or, or more because you don't get that natural wear that you do when, when horses are barefoot. So what do you think?
1: Yeah. And I've been switching our schedule to about six or seven weeks instead of eight, which, you know, a lot of people, Oh, what's it, what's two weeks matter? But it does. I mean, if we go the full eight weeks, they start, they're starting to get long. And especially with, like you said, like Lola, a performance horse that is doing insanely difficult things physically and having to slide stop and, and, and dally on an eight hundred seven 800 pounds steer. Those angles matter. You know, the hoof angles matter on her joints, her tendons, uh, her muscles, everything so that it, it doesn't break down so yeah we've ended up switching to like six-ish weeks uh, most of the time and it it does depend on the time of year as well sometimes especially in the summer when we're using them more heavily and they're getting a lot more circulation their hooves grow faster and whereas in the winter when they're not getting used as often their hooves kind of slow down they don't grow quite as fast so uh, it depends on the time of year but yeah in the summer when we're just really working all the horses hard we shorten it so
0: yeah. Yeah. And I I'm with you. Even and I've always said too, as much as I love barefoot, if I could find a farrier that I trusted and he wanted shoes versus barefoot, I would go back to shoes just because I don't love trimming my own horses. Um there's there's benefits to it as far as I really get hands-on experience and I I really can see what's going on with their feet. Um and I don't ever have anyone do a no show or whatever with it but if I could find somebody who was consistent who I trusted with the trimming I I don't care if if they wanted shoes then I would go back to shoes if I trusted how they were trimming my horse's feet so um yeah but I I agree with you I think I would probably be like more of a four to six week person I'd probably want them to come back out even if we just tapped on the same shoes I think keeping a more regular trim is a good idea
1: yep So let's see. Blanketing would be a big one. My perspectives have definitely shifted on that. And I know yours have as well. Um, There's so many things that you see on Facebook in particular and social media of people either shaming people that blanket and just being like, oh, that's so stupid. Why do you blanket? And like even those little cartoons that, that, um, a horse has like four blankets on and it's talking to its other friend. It's like, man, why do you have so many blankets on? And the horse is like, because my owner thinks it's cold outside. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, I mean, there's just things like that. Um, But, and I used to kind of be in that boat a little bit of like, why are people blanketing their horses? Like, it's stupid. Um, And like, for me, it doesn't make sense for me to blanket. I don't have a reason to blanket. My horses do very well in the weather here. I'm able to still exercise them. But we have fairly mild winters here, usually. (laughs) This one has been a little bit different. Um, And so for me, I don't need to blanket. But like my neighbor across the street, she winters down in Arizona. And her and her husband do. And so her horses need to be blanketed for the last I don't know probably about month that they're here so that they don't grow a winter coat and then have to go down to Arizona where it's really really warm and then sweat their guts off and then lose their coat so it's it makes sense for her to blanket and um, same with like I had a, a client bring a horse to me that brought their horse from Las Vegas which is again much hotter than here and so their horse Um, needed to blanket for the first few weeks. And we transitioned her off the blanket um, so that she could um, not need to wear it anymore. But yeah, I mean, it's, you have to help your horse out with transitioning because in a normal setting, a horse would not be used to switching from one climate to another climate overnight. You know, only because of humans is that even now possible. (laughs) So I think you got to help your horse out a little bit and then blankets. I mean, even now they conserve, energy so like for you Michaela it helps your hay go further when your horse doesn't have to work as hard to keep their heat so a horse is perfectly able to keep their heat on their own in the winter and that's why you'll see icicles and things on their coat because underneath those icicles they're plenty warm but the icicles are sitting up on top And so if you pull their hair back and part their hair, they're nice and dry and toasty warm underneath. But it does take more energy for them to do that without a blanket on. So if you're trying to save hay, then blanketing, absolutely, especially where where Michaela's at, it's negative 20, negative 30 sometimes. And helping your horse out is not a bad thing. So I don't know. I I've definitely kind of switched a little bit on that, too. I still don't blanket my own, but I see the value in why others blanket theirs.
0: Yeah. And I'm with you. Um, I used to think blanketing was for sissies, you know, it just means you weren't very tough in your horses and as tough as mine, right. If you had to blanket. Um, but I have definitely changed my, my viewpoint on that and going along with you. Like there's a lot of shaming with people who do blanket, but I'm also in a lot of groups who also shame people who don't blanket. So there's, there's lots of shaming in both ends. And I think it would just be nice if, and it's like clockwork too. Every, every fall. That's when all of this starts is who needs to blanket? Why are we blanketing? What's your opinion on blanketing? I feel like that's most of what I see on social media about November. <laughs> um, But it would be nice if we could just realize like it doesn't really matter. Who cares what the other person's doing? Do what's best for your horse. Like Camry said, I... I blanket um, when it gets when it drops below zero 100% I am blanketing to keep to conserve energy it also gives me peace of mind I don't worry too much about them. And I feel like there's a lot of value in peace of mind so if it gives you peace of mind that your horse has a blanket on it by golly put a blanket on it it's fine. I think the only issue comes is if you look under the blanket and your horse is sweating that's a problem. So (laughs) yeah, I was just
1: about to point that out. Like if your peace of mind is making your horse sweat under their coat while they're outside in this cold, like they're going to get sick and it's not a good thing. So I'm glad you pointed that out. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So just do your due diligence, check and make sure your horse isn't too hot, but if they're not sweating, you're not you're not hurting anything. I think it's just making sure that you decide to do something that you're willing to maintain. Because if you're going to blanket, then you need to consistently blanket. And if you're not going to blanket, that's okay too. You know, just do do what makes you happy, I guess. I, for, for blanketing, Um, there have been lots of things too where I used to think that if you blanketed, the it would ruin their winter coat or whatever. And I don't believe that anymore. I do think um, if like your neighbor... If you blanket early enough, yeah, it'll keep them from growing as big of a winter coat. But if you winter after they already, or if you blanket after they already have a winter coat, it's not going to do anything to their winter coat. So, so there, there's my two cents on that one. Yeah.
1: So should we talk about hot horses <laughs> and our views sure. on hot horses? <laughs> so I feel like you have more experience with this one, Michaela. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I definitely grew up around a lot of hot horses and definitely had a lot more hot horses as an adult, too. Um, so one of the things that that I've changed my mind on is hot horses are always just going to misbehave. Like, and you just have to deal with their misbehavior. And I have changed. I do think, and when we say hot horses, for those who have no idea what we're talking about, hot horses are like your Arabs, your thoroughbreds, your, your more racing type horses where they're going to be A little bit more jittery because they've got a little bit more energy. They love to run. That's just kind of what they do. So when we say hot, that's what we're talking about. Um, And with that jitteriness can sometimes come more reactiveness and, and more misbehavior in that way because they get a little bit more reactive. And I used to just think that just came with it. Right. The reactiveness just came with the fact that that's what the breed was. And I've changed my mind on that, where I do feel like it has more to do with their training and their experiences than it does with the fact that they're hot. And it's like, yes, it is in their blood to be a little bit more jittery, jittery, a little bit more excited. But that doesn't mean they can't control that behavior and doesn't mean that you can't help guide where that energy goes. Right.
1: Yeah, and I feel like it's that way with me, particularly with Arabians. People around here are very much into the idea of Arabians are all crazy, <laughs> right? Like they'll just run all day and go crazy and you can't ever get a, get control of them because they're just going to go all day and go nuts. Um, and I feel like it's just like with humans, with things like ADHD or... You know, if you're just a, a temperament where it's like you could never work a desk job because you just have to be going and moving. You know, everyone has a different personality. Some people are more suited for certain things. But that doesn't mean that that we use that as a, an excuse, you know, with, with those horses that they do have the, the desire to move more, to use their bodies more. It just means you have to be a little more diligent about working on the mindset stuff about working on how to quiet their feet and quiet their mind as well as uh, be able to go when they need to go. And so they use their energy appropriately. So you just have to be a bit more diligent with those breeds of, and a bit more thorough in your training process to make sure you don't just skip that. Because with your horses that have more woe than go, like your draft horses, your half drafts, um, certain lines of quarter horses are that way, um, you you can skip that part because they really have no desire to move so you don't have to worry as much about it because they're just naturally more chill and like I'm good with whatever (laughs) so you can skip that part so yeah you have to be a diligent owner when you own those horses they yes they do have certain tendencies but it doesn't mean that they can't learn all the things they need to learn and do all the things they need to do to be a safe quiet well-mannered horse so yeah
0: and I think going along with that too don't like realize that is what you signed up for when you got that breed as well and yeah they're never going to just stand there and sleep like a quarter horse will in a new (laughs) new environment you know and that's just that's just the realities of the horse you're choosing to own um and so also taking that into consideration but like camry said not using it as an excuse like your horse can still behave even if they are more high-headed and looking around than than say like a really steady half draft would
1: you know um But yeah. 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 It's just like I said, with people with anxiety or ADHD, it doesn't mean that you can't be a fully functioning human and learn how to cope with your anxiety or to cope with your stress or to cope with your ADHD or whatever it is. Um, It just means you might have to work a little bit harder at it than some people. So. Yup. 100%. My next one which
0: I'm sh- I don't know. Well, actually, you may not have had this. I'm interested to hear your opinion. I grew up thinking horses were hardy animals. And I have lots of like laughing emojis by that, because I have now <laughs> learned that horses are very easy to kill. And, and my, my goodness, you have to be very careful about what you do. But I grew up thinking that, you know, horses were kind of like big goats, they could just eat anything like goats could eat. And I mean, when we, we had our little backyard farm horse thing my dad used to stake the horses out like he'd stake goats out you know to just eat down whatever and and luckily we never had issues with it um growing up but I used to think that yeah it would be really hard to kill a horse they're big animals and I 180 on that one it's very easy to kill a horse and they are not hardy they are actually really uh almost weak um as far as trying to keep them alive and trying to keep their guts healthy and and everything that goes into that so
1: did you yeah. ever have that camry um so let me just clarify something here <laughs> goats are not hardy either i tell you what you change their diet from alfalfa hay to grass hay or you give them a little bit more grain than you usually give them they get scours like that so people think goats eat everything because goats do put everything in their mouth but goats actually need a very consistent diet to stay healthy and for their gut bacteria to work the way that it needs to so i'm gonna like debunk that right now goats are not either
0: (laughs) i love that okay cool (laughs) but goats are not hardy (laughs) A new thing that I'm changing my mind on now.
1: (laughs) And then even with that, with the horses, I heard a lot of that about Mustangs, is that they're very hardy, hardy creatures uh, because they're used to just living on whatever they can find. Um, And uh, I want to say it was my father-in-law that told me this. I can't remember for sure if it came from him or from someone else. Um, But they always say things like, you can put a horse in a padded room and they'll still find a way to hurt themselves. Um, And we joke about that a lot around here of, you know, they they're always going to have little accidents, especially with what I do with colts. They are still learning how to behave and learning how to have a baby mindset in this big, big body and, and how to be aware of, you know, if they kick at another horse and there's a fence between them, they're going to hobble off for a couple of minutes Because they just kicked a fence <laughs> um, So like things like that happen a lot With the colts but then after they kick a fence A couple of times Then they start like putting the pieces together Of like oh, okay like I need Maybe to that's knock. not really smart. <laughs> Um <laughs> And the, the Older the horse especially The older the horse with the more experience That you give them They will get less and less likely to hurt Themselves but even their gut Like knowing how their cecum works and how and this is the part of their gut for those of you that don't know that it is a blind pouch. So that means food has to go into the cecum and out of the cecum through the same hole. It's designed that way so that they should be continual grazers. So in other words there's never going to be a huge dump of food all at once. It's going to be a few bites and a few bites and if you know and then it's also going to be um fresh, you know, they're going to be getting it from the ground, which means much higher water content in their food versus a dry hay uh, or dry grass that you're feeding them. So when we feed them two meals a day, that's a big dump of dry food going into their system. And so sometimes that's why horses can colic so easily is they have this huge amount of food that has to go in and out of this same hole into the cecum Um, and and just things like that, that they really weren't designed to to eat that way and to to have so much food all at once, so yeah, it's no wonder that they do struggle sometimes in the setting that we put them in. Is just because that's not the way nature designed their gut to work. <laughs> it designed them to be grazing all day long and and wandering around from place to place to place and and eating constantly. So,
0: a uh-huh. little, ana- like little anatomy
1: lesson <laughs> there for those that don't know about cecums. <laughs> yeah.
0: How would you, Camry, work around that, or do you? Do you just kind of work within that, or do you try to do something that helps them be more continual grazers?
1: We feed twice a day. If we have a horse that is struggling or is a little bit skinny or is a pacer, then we will try and feed them a we'll feed them a lunch. So we'll give them something to eat midday. Um, but we do just stick with twice a day. And I mean, it works pretty well. But the other thing I do have to be careful about with that, um, that I've gotten a lot more diligent about recently is feeding them within an hour to two hours of when I work them. Um, So that's really important for me as far as uh, the acid in their stomach and if it comes up and creates ulcers. So I like to make sure I feed them um, a snack, you know, half a flake to a flake before I work them. Um, And ideally, I would love to have slow feeders. Um, But I tell you what, we have 14-ish horses at my place, and there is no way that I have time in the day to fill that many hay nets twice a day. Um, It is just too much of a project to take on all by myself. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's something that we... Yeah, we we keep them on good supplements to help with their gut bacteria and things like that. And then we do feed twice a day. And then, like I said, make sure I feed them before I work them. So there are certain things that I do to kind of work around that and make sure that that stomach acid isn't bothering them. But yeah, it's not 100% ideal. One day I would love to have enough property to pasture all my horses year round (laughs) Um, and then just supplement with hay as they're out to pasture in the winter when it turns brown. But one day we'll get there. One day.
0: (laughs) Yes. Everyone's dream. I feel like (laughs) everyone who owns horses dream.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. I, I do notice too, that there's a big difference when I feed pellets or alfalfa cubes. Um, as much as I love those just because they're cleaner, there's less waste. My horses go through them so quick, um, where with their hay. So we, we just switched to feeding just all hay right now. Um, and it, they are eating most of the day now with the hay and what we do because like I say I have a track system is I feed half of their portion on one end of the track and half on the other so they'll actually stop before they finish at one end and they'll walk all the way around the track and then go get a little bit there then they'll walk back around and get a little bit there and it's worked out pretty well so far I really like that because it keeps them moving and then they are they're grazing probably I would say it's six hours almost the last little bit that I've been watching them um where they don't finish out all their hay in one setting because I do separate it. Um, and that's been something that's helped with that. But when I had a smaller paddock, what I did was, um, and and hay wasn't a fortune, preface with that too, when <laughs> hay was not crazy expensive. Um, as I took, you know, those round bell feeders with the stands, I I bought one section of that cut off the leg so it just is flat on the ground so you can't get hay underneath and then it hooked that to the side of my fence and then I would just put a bale out in that and they would just have free access to and it was grass hay so it wasn't alfalfa too but they'd have free access to that and then I'd supplement with just a little bit of cubes morning and night but then they would have all of that and I really liked that as well but just some things that I did to try to help them graze a little bit more because like you said doing the slow feeding stuff it's it's great until you realize how time
1: consuming it is so like if we had a big pasture we could put them in and I could do one of those large um slow feeders that was for the whole group of horses that would be a little easier as well because then you only need to do that you know once a week or once every you know few days or however large your bale is and how many horses you have um but we have ours in runs so they're all i would have to have one for each individual horse which is just so so time consuming <laughs> and there's just not time in the day for that so yeah
0: no well, i mean I'm... like with yours too cuz you have other people's horses there as well mm-hmm. and they're on different things and so you definitely just have to make work with what you've got
1: <laughs> yeah too and yeah a lot of the things that we talk about i feel like you need to take with a grain of salt of you need to think about what is 100% ideal if you had everything you could ever have and you could afford everything that you wanted. But the fact of the matter is, we don't always get the ideal. So you work with what you've got um, and and just make it work to the best of your abilities with the knowledge that you have. So yeah,
0: exactly. You just do your best. And these are just little things that we've tried and we've done and what works for us. But that doesn't mean it's going to work for you in your situation. So
1: yeah do what you
0: can and here's just some education around it <laughs> yeah I, love
1: it. I was gonna say the one that's making me giggle is two horses is better than one and maybe three is better than two <laughs> yeah <laughs> so let's cover this
0: uh this perspective here yeah so this is definitely my perspective um because when Eric and I first got married, we had four horses, which I loved. Um, but I did struggle with because I just didn't have time for four horses between teaching riding lessons and training with you and and traveling and everything. I really only had time for two horses. And that was my vaulting horse and my mare. And then the other two just didn't get much work. Um, so I think with this, you need to have as many horses as you have time for. And just realize you're not always going to have time to have a herd of horses out there. Sometimes, you know, one or two is better. But the reason I say two is better than one is with one, they get very depressed. There, there was, um, a long period of time where I did just have one horse at a time and he was pretty depressed, um, and just kind of mopey and, you know, just wasn't very happy. Wasn't very, yeah, just wasn't very happy. Um, so, for me, if if I can afford it, and granted, not everyone can afford two horses too. So again, grain of salt. But for as long as I can afford it, I will always have at least more than one just because they need that herd buddy. They need they need that interaction. It's just like if we were to put ourselves in a room by ourselves all the time, you never got to talk to another human being, you would get depressed too, you know? So that's why I say two is better than one. Um, And then three may be better than two. So when we moved to Idaho, we had downsized to three, um, sold one horse and then just kept three. And the reason I like three is because when I take my mare out, she's my main riding horse. When I take her out, my other horse flips, right? He chases the trailer down the road sometimes, and then he just spends the whole day just running the track. If um, He's gotten a little bit better because I've been more consistent about taking her away and bringing her back. But it's pretty stressful for that horse that gets left home. Um, And I really liked having three because then I left two at home and it wasn't as stressful for the ones who got left home when when I would take my mare out. So that's why I say three. But again, (laughs) that's just more from a herd dynamic perspective, not at all from a cost perspective or a time perspective, just from a herd dynamic perspective.
1: Yeah, and I think it depends on how many people you have in your family that ride. You know, because we have, both of my kids have Quasi for their horse, and then I have Freya, and then her foal, Zaya, and Larry has Lola, and then we all share Hickory. Um, And Hickory is going to be the next kid horse, because he's just that temperament, so he's going to be probably Tripp's horse here pretty soon, my son's horse. And, um, And so I think, you know, with you, you're the only one that rides, so you have to take into account, you know. Two tops, three horses is probably all you could handle. Yeah. Um, but for us, we need at least four so that when we go on a trail ride, we each have a horse to ride. You know, we don't want to go and, and, well, you can't go this time because we only have three horses. So trip, stay home, you know? Um, so yeah, it just depends on your unique situation. And then yeah. I was also going to point out, so I really like this idea of kind of the three pillars that horses need, and that is freedom, friends, and food. Um, and so, or forage, I think either way. <laughs> the three F's, um, and I think that's very important to uh, to know as far as like freedom of movement. You know, so they're not in a, a box stall twenty four seven. But then, like that, like you said, that social interaction. They need friends, um, and even if you can only afford one horse, uh, I had clients that they pastured their horse with their friend's horse. And they just paid pasture board. So just because you can only afford one horse doesn't mean your horse has to live alone. That just means you might have to get creative with how to find buddies for your horse. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and some other things too. If you're somebody who
0: does have enough time to ride every day, just getting into riding groups so they can at least get get socialization when you're riding with other people too is better than is better than nothing. You know. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. One hundred percent. So. One thing um, that I used to think when I was a little kid, and it's one that I I hear a lot with clients and their horses that I really want to just bust right now. And it's the, the idea that, oh, if the horse loves me enough, they will never do anything to hurt me. And this is one that I'm like, I, I really, I hear a lot. And you know what? It doesn't matter how much your horse loves you. They're still horses. They're still going to react. They're still going to do little things that will hurt you. <laughs> and you need to respect that. And You need to have the understanding. I definitely, as a little kid, with my gelding, oh, if he just, if, if he loves me, like, he would never do anything to hurt me. So I can try all these things. And, I mean, luckily, it worked out pretty well. He never really did hurt me. But... But there are some clients I have where their horse is actually a pretty aggressive horse. I had one client in particular um, who had a horse that was aggressive and actually went after her one time when we were doing a lunging exercise. And, you know, and in her head, she was like, well, it it was fine because he didn't actually get me. And so he still loves me because he didn't actually get me. But actually, that's a big problem that, um, but yeah, these to be taken care of. So. Your horse can love you a ton, but they're still horses. They're still going to have reactions. There's they're still going to they're gonna, you know, take off because something scares them, because they are prey animals. They are going to buck if something's really hurts. Um, and in some really big instances, they can get a little bit more aggressive if they have no respect. Right. So there's my two cents on that one. What do you think, Camry?
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, and then like going into the the respect thing. That's another big thing um, I like to kind of challenge people's perspectives with because I used to believe that respect was that horse needs to do what I say and they need to do it now. They need to respect what I say as their leader, which yes, you do, especially in safety situations. You need to teach your horse proper boundaries, proper ways of moving around you, Uh, So Michaela and I had talked about this um, before about a a horses, how they turn their shoulder into us when we make a turn. Um, So that's actually not quote unquote disrespect. That's simply they haven't, well, unless you've already taught them that, but if, if this is something that it's a new horse hasn't learned this yet, you can't call that disrespect because the horse never learned that boundary. If you haven't created that, that way of moving and that bubble of, you know, you you cannot bring your shoulder into this space and, and this is what you need to do instead is you need to move your shoulder and your body out around me when you come into my space, then it's it's not disrespect. It's them actually doing what they think they're supposed to be doing. They don't understand that they need to be moving a certain way unless you show them. So now if you've showed your horse that over and over again and then they choose to do that then yes you could call that disrespect but most of the time when people are talking about disrespect it's a horse that is doing something that the owner views as disrespect but really is just the horse doing what they think they're supposed to just horse behavior (laughs) it's just horse behavior um so yeah that respect i i like to think of it as mutual Caring for each other's preferences, for each other's space, for each other's boundaries. It is mutual. So, if I want a horse to respect me, I need to also respect them. And if I don't want them to come into my space and I need to teach them to go around, I need to also be aware of when they're not ready for me to come into their space. You know, if I just blow through that and I disrespect their boundary, that like they pin their ears as I'm coming close to them and they're saying, I'm not ready for you to catch me. If I disrespect that and I just blow right through that, then how can I expect them to care about my boundaries in return? You know, we need to kind of have that two-way conversation with the with respect. Um, so that's one that I didn't write down, but it kind of came up. <laughs> uh, yeah, because yeah, respect is a big one. People just want to think that it's you listen to me and I'm the boss, right? <laughs> um but that's not exactly what it is <laughs> well i think
0: too just putting it in the perspective of think about the people you respect do you respect them because they boss you around and jerk you around and you you know no you don't respect them. You actually resent those people. (laughs) Right. And so like Camry said, it needs to be a two-way street. If it's not a two-way street, there is no respect. It's just resentment and fear. And your horse is working off of those two emotions versus actual respect. So I do like that clarification. Um, Let's see. I want to look at your list. Have we covered your list?
1: Sort of. So I guess the horses are naughty, which we talked about in another episode. This has been a difficult shift for me to make. I will say that because in theory I get it, but because for so many years I had a different perspective, it definitely, if especially if I get emotional versus logical and thoughtful, um, I tend to revert back to thinking, oh, this horse is just being a little shit or they're being naughty or they're being rude or disrespectful. There's that word again. So I used to think horses would do things on purpose to make me mad. I did. I would think, oh, that horse is just doing this because they want to make me mad. Like they're just, ah, oh, they're being stubborn. And and um. over the last few years, I've really started realizing, especially after reading evidence-based horsemanship, that really puts it into, I mean, there is no way to even debate the the fact that their brain does not have the capability to be naughty. They do not have the same parts of the brain that a human does to, to plan out and concoct something and have ulterior motives. Their motives are safety and comfort. Um, and so if they're not finding that with you, you need to figure out why. Um, and so if they're ever being quote unquote naughty or rude or, or disrespectful or any of those things, you need to figure out what is lacking in the communication there and why they're not feeling safe or considered or any of those things. Um, but it definitely, especially in the moment, like I said, if I'm ever having a, a more highly emotional day, um, I definitely revert back to like, stop being such a stubborn ass, you know, like, (laughs) ah, you get, you get mad. Um, and, But you really have to keep that in perspective and not humanize them in that way. I think certain ways of humanizing a horse can help us relate to them and and connect with them a little bit. But in this particular way, you have to realize their brain cannot be naughty on purpose to make you mad. They can't. Um, So that's been a big, big shift for me is getting away from that word and that thought process of my horses being naughty. So
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree with you on that one because I used to think the same thing that, oh, my horse is doing that because, I mean, I can remember some situations, too, where um, I do think, though, like, so that being said, I do think horses can be conditioned for certain behaviors for certain people and for certain situations, right? So, um, like, I have seen some horses (laughs) where, and this one might be a little bit kind of far off. um, I'm not sure exactly what was going on, but there was one horse particularly that I would use for lessons And he would be great. He'd be 100% sound. He would go really well. And then his normal rider would come. And I kid you not, he all of a sudden was dead lame. Dead lame when she would pull up. And I'm like, this is the weirdest thing, right? And I'm not saying who knows what was really going on there. But I, I do think there was a little bit of conditioning for that horse too, where he was like, oh, if I act like this she's not going to ride me right she's actually just going to give me treats because that's what would happen is she would feel bad so she'd come out and pet him and then give him lots of treats and wouldn't ride him um and then move off and and i noticed too watching this particular lady ride if he made one misstep she was off she was getting off him she was putting him away and so i do think there was some of that because i would use him for my lessons and he would be fine would never take a misstep for my lessons and then with her it would just there was but I do think too it was also because of the way she reacted that I also noticed it more as well so I do think courses can be conditioned into certain behaviors that we would perceive as naughty or as a
1: Sneaky, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and that's the perfect way to put it is that it, it isn't actually naughty because it's like you said, they are conditioned to do that. So we, without realizing it, trained them to do that. They realize, oh, every time I do this behavior, I get this reward or this release of pressure. Um, so, like, rearing can be a big thing that gets a horse a release because it scares humans. So a horse will rear when they, when they get nervous about something or when they want to refuse something, or if they're feeling too much pressure, they'll rear, but then the human like, Oh, you know, they don't want to be, have that horse come down and land on top of them. So there's a release of pressure there sometimes. Um, And then the horse learns, well, I get out of, I get away from the thing that I already, you know, say you had been asking them to get in a trailer and they reared because you were pressuring them too much. So then they start learning if I rear every time I come to the trailer, I don't have to go in that trailer that is scary to me. Um, I now get to get what I want and get away from that trailer. So there's that safety component, right? He's That horse feels safer if they rear and don't have to go in the trailer. So, but we actually would condition them by giving them a release when they rear or do that bad behavior. Um, and so it's it's not actually naughty because the definition of naughty would be knowing what you're supposed to do and not doing it anyway to them we've taught them that they're supposed to rear because that gets them this thing Uh, and so you you, that's why I I really like that word that you use the conditioning because it is it's like that operant conditioning of they get a release or a reward when they do a certain thing and they learn that behavior and that's how that's how horses learn so Mm -hmm. we're actually teaching them to do the things we don't want them to do (laughs) no
0: exactly and you know and we say these too. but guys camry and i get just as frustrated and just as emotional (laughs) when our horses react this way as i'm sure you all do too (laughs) and sometimes it does take an outside perspective to help put it back in the logical position because when i'm in the moment with my horse and she is doing something that you know quote-unquote naughty behavior yeah you bet i am upset, like, and I'm probably swearing under my breath and I'm getting a little more emotional about it because I'm frustrated that she's behaving that way, especially when, you know, who knows, like the last time it was fine and now it's not, it gets really frustrating and it's really, really easy to be emotional about it, but just practice and, and realize like it's normal. You're going to get emotional about it because dealing with human interactions, we would, right? Because in a human relationship, All you have to do is say what your boundary is and boom, that person understands what your boundary is, right? With horses, it's a completely new way of communicating and it's not the same that we communicate. So in our head, we have communicated clearly what the boundary is, but apparently not if the horse is still passing that boundary, right? So it gets very frustrating for us and makes us feel like that horse is disrespecting us because to us and and in the way that we normally communicate as human beings we have we have expressed our boundary and that horse is pushing past that boundary and so we get very emotional about that and like to put labels on the horses but being able to step away and out of that situation if you've got a friend to talk to if you've got a trainer to talk to or a coach or anybody else or heck if you want to talk to us talk to us um But it can be really helpful to talk it through with somebody who has that outside perspective, just like when you get in a fight with with your spouse, you know, talking to a friend who is going to be logical about it, who's not going to be emotional about it can be very helpful to put things into perspectives. And it's going to be the same with your horse. So just give yourself some grace there. Realize it's very normal to get extremely aggravated and even angry in those situations, And you are not a bad person because you had those emotions come up. Just realize you need to step away, process for a second, then go back at it with a new perspective and, and you will get angry again and then come back out, process again and go back in. It just, it's going to take a minute because it is hard and it is frustrating.
1: Yeah, especially the longer you've been doing it with the other perspective right? <laughs> the longer you've had that mindset of they're doing it on purpose and, and feeling that way. Um, it's the same thing. You've conditioned yourself to see it that way and to perceive it that way. So retraining your brain to see it differently is going to take some work and some practice and some repetition. So absolutely. Yep. So the other thing here too would be with when you come across resistance with a horse. So my perspective used to be you know, when I was starting colts and I would start to bend them around, say to the left side, and they resisted that bend, pull harder, right? More pressure. If they resist, add more pressure. Now, my perspective on this has shifted quite a bit because if I pull on that rein and that horse's response is to shove away from it, push into it, they're saying that's what I think I'm supposed to do with that rein is push against it is resisted. So now if I say okay you're resisting that, let me add more pressure, then guess what they're going to meet that bigger pressure with more push. So it's just going to be this battle of I'm going to pull, you're going to resist, I'm going to pull harder, you're going to push harder. Pull harder, push harder and and turn into this big fight, right? Um and so if you if you feel resistance instead of adding pressure you just hold it there and you say, nope, that's not the right thing. I'm going to hold it here until you find the right thing. And sometimes that even means to me, for instance, if there's a horse that's got, that's more reactive to pressure. So if I add just this much pressure with my rein, just a little bit, and, and they immediately like get into more of a reactive state with that and they start shoving their face into it really hard. I know I've used too much pressure um, because it's already putting them into like a defensive reactive state. So I know I need to actually lighten my touch instead of make it tougher, right? And increase that pressure. So um, a lot of times it's just you either hold or you lighten up your pressure just a little bit um, to where they're not gonna immediately brace. Um, And that's been a big one for me because like I said, I used to just get into those fights of like, if you push, I'm gonna pull harder and it just turns into a big fight. It's not worth it. So if they resist... Think about why they're resisting and and how to wait for them to do the right response before you release, because um, increasing doesn't doesn't help at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely had the same thing as well, the same misconceptions, and I have changed my mind around quite a bit of it. I do still think doing pressure release is a good form, but I do feel like we can be a lot easier on our pressure and like camry said just have more of that light pressure and be willing to wait i think one thing that's been really helpful for me is coming at it with the point of view that the horse knows nothing just assume that they know nothing <laughs> and it's going to help your patience level right where if you come in going well this horse knows that they shouldn't be doing this that's when you're you start that fight because in your head you're already resenting that horse where if you just go oh apparently you forgot how to do this today. That's okay. Let me help you through it. You know, if you come at it with that point of view, it's a lot easier to keep your cool and not get quite so angry. Um, and granted, it's a lot easier for me to do that on a client's horse than it is on my own. (laughs) Cause definitely with my own horses, I'm coming in with that. You know how to do this, you stink. Um, but if I change that mindset and go, Oh, okay. Like I'll listen to that. Maybe you just forgot in this instance, what this means. And let's work on that for a second. Um, it helps me not get into that push-pull resistance fight thing that Camry's talking about too. Cause yeah, I definitely have done the same thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and kind of on the other side of that, um, phasing your cues, I think is very important for a horse that does know something, but tends to be a little on the dull sided, like falling asleep, not paying attention kind of a horse. Um, But it's a horse that you know knows the skill. You start with the lightest cue Give it about three seconds. Go to the next phase. Use the next highest cue and and do those phases slower than you would even think you need to Um, because I like to think of it as if their body is lazy, their brain is because it's not necessarily lazy. If their body is slow to respond, their brain is also a muscle and is also going to be slower to respond. So a lot of times people will ask with that light cue and then immediately, boom, jump into the biggest cue they've got um and and that actually doesn't give those slower moving horses time to process what you just did (laughs) so they didn't even notice the first cue they only noticed when you went yeah so to get them to pay attention to that lower cue you need to phase it and so then you start with you know just you know say it's you want them to go do you want them to go from a standstill to a walk you're going to bring your energy up for about three seconds and then you're going to start squeezing with your legs just a little bit for three seconds and then you're going to start clucking for three seconds and then you're going to start bumping your legs so you're adding a phase each time which is going to start getting your horse to pay attention to the the phase right before the one that they start responding to so then you'll start getting them to pay attention when you start squeezing but then you'll start getting them to pay attention to when you start picking up your energy and it does it takes some repetition but it actually gets these dull horses to start to pick up on your pre cues um, versus just like I said adding that boom pressure of like you didn't respond yeah I'm going to ask you immediately to go Um, that's actually just going to keep your horse being dull so I definitely think there are times you need to add pressure especially with a horse that already knows what the cue means and they're just kind of falling asleep and not paying attention but just do it in a way where it's a little bit slower where they are actually getting the opportunity to notice each individual cue so that they can learn to respond one cue sooner
0: so yeah i like that um if anyone is familiar with like pat pirelli he does i think it's like seven phases phases um don't quote me on that but i think it's it's like that where he does preach that in, in every bits of his training i've watched a few of his videos and and i like a lot of his methods as far as like groundwork stuff where you do start with like that light touch and then a little bit more touch and then a little bit more and a little bit more and then eventually you'll come into the eagle but you never go from the light touch to the eagle touch right like to the to the gripping um Mm -hmm. and i feel like for me if you are wondering what the differences look like it's like look at clinton anderson work a horse on the ground, and then watch Pat Pirelli work a horse on the ground. And you'll kind of see the differences in how they cue. Where Clinton Anderson is more of a trainer to me, and correct me if if you have a different perspective on that, Camry, but to me, Clinton Anderson is more of that trainer that he's going to ask, and then in a split second, it's going to be, bam, you, you didn't do it, right? So if you watch him on the ground, that's kind of what Camry's, I feel like what Camry is a uh, is kind of explaining there. So if you want to see what she's talking about there and then, you know, pull up a video of Pat Pirelli or his wife working a horse on the ground, and you'll see more of the, of the phases that, that Camry's talking about there. Am I, am I spot on with that Camry or did I completely just leave lead everyone astray? No,
1: no, I, I completely agree. I, um, Clinton Anderson is pretty big here in Utah. A lot of people in Utah follow him. And he's one that I, have bought his cult starting dvds as i i've also bought pat Pirelli's cult starting dvds i've got buck Brennerman's dvds so it's a, i never really followed just one of them um but with clinton anderson he definitely is much more of the move the feet It's all about where the feet are. What are the feet doing? It's all about the feet. Um, And that was actually another one of the things on my list of things I used to believe in was, you know, if they're not doing this, move their feet. If you're not doing this, move their feet. And it creates a lot more anxiety in horses. So if if a horse ever feels unsure that goes through that type of process, they're going to start feeling the need to move their feet. Because they're conditioned that every time I'm unsure about something or I refuse something, I have to move my feet. And so they get in this habit and this conditioned response of move, 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 move. Um, So they're not able to relax as easily. And they do get to a point where, I mean, Clinton Anderson didn't get to where he's at because he didn't get the responses he wanted. He gets horses that when he asks, boom, they go right then, right there. Um, But I do notice a lot of um, relationship lacking in a lot of the horses that I've seen him work um, and things like that, which again, you know, there's more than one way to train a horse. There's a lot more ways to do things. And for him, that works great. Um, And the horses adapt to his methods. But um, I do much more appreciate people like Pat Pirelli and Buck Brenneman that do Take into account um, how to build a little bit more confidence, relaxation, um, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of a difference there. It's not all about the feet; you got to pay attention to the mind. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that being said, too, I do think with some of Clinton Anderson's stuff, there is there is some gold nuggets in there, right? That you can utilize. Oh, yeah. So, with all of these trainers, I like like Camry does, you know take all of the information that all of them are giving you and pick what works for you. For, for Camry, it works better to have the relationship build up, right? For somebody else, it might not like, you may not care because your horse literally needs to do a job and you could care less if your horse likes you, you know? Cause your horse does need to show up and they need to be in the feedlot. They need to be in these high pressure situations. And that's when the yeah. Clinton Anderson style is really beneficial because you are getting a horse, putting them in a high pressure situation and teaching them how to deal with it in that high yes. pressure situation. Right. Where Pat Perelli, you know, you you're gonna get a horse that's more um more relaxed, a little bit more connected, but might not do as well in a high pressured situation as like a Clinton Anderson horse too. So I think there's yeah. gold nuggets to everything. Um, and there's, yeah. there's lots of things you can like and dislike about, about different ones and just pick what works for you and, and try it. And you like, for me, I like aspects of Clinton Anderson and I like aspects of Pat Pirelli. I love pretty much. I just love Buck Brenneman. I'm not going to lie. So. <laughs> I know. I'm like,
1: can I just be you when I grow up? <laughs> exactly. Like, so
0: there's, there's a lot about him that I just, I just really like and respect and really love what he brings to the table. And Um, of
1: course, my favorite right now, Warwick Schiller. Yes. And (laughs) Warwick Schiller too. So
0: there, there are a couple that we probably do follow a little bit more, but there are definite aspects of, of other trainers that they get the job done and they do. And you just need to decide what kind of a job do you want done with your horse? And Camry and I are definitely more on, we want to build relationships and we want to help people build relationships. So we're going to stay away from high pressure training styles and we're going to lean more into the the softer the more intentional training styles and that's okay for us right but again it might not be the right thing for you so i I do want to say that as well because there are things um where where moving the feet is a good idea because at least you're getting energy expelled in some way or another right um because sometimes i can get stuck sometimes i'm that personality that goes oh that's not a good thing anymore. So I'm not going to do it at all. Period. No longer going to do that. Right. When I can look back at some situations I've been having right now where I'm like, you know, a better situation for me would be in this situation to actually get my mare off. Let her move her feet and let her let her just get her energy out in a positive way versus sit and and try to um try to do the the light touches when she's in a 10 anxiety state, right? Um, so I know we talked a little bit about that and I don't want to like dive into that since we just did a whole episode (laughs) pretty much on that situation. So we can just link to that episode in the show notes. Um, but just even thinking back about that one, it's like, you know, a better situation for me would be to actually help my horse move her feet. So she's thinking about things versus just sitting there and, and stewing. And I can get caught up in that, that idea of like, oh, but. I'm I'm moving towards this other style. So I can't do this style at all, period, right? And I think that's wrong. I think you can do, you could do 15 different styles all in one and then it becomes your own, right? <laughs> like make your own, use a, use a lot of tidbits from a lot of different trainers and figure out what works for you.
1: Well, and when you do that as well, as far as kind of um, cherry picking the things that work, you need to keep your, um like, what state your horse is in what do you want to accomplish and how do you want your horse to feel about it Uh, because you can accomplish the same thing in many different ways but if you're if you want your horse to feel like they like you are the dominant one and they need to submit to you you're going to come across come into it with a whole different method and and you're going to choose a different method versus if you want your horse to feel confident and trusting you and and that you have kept things within threshold so that's where kind of cherry picking things don't just willy-nilly like hmm, I'm going to grab one thing here and one thing there and not think about the why behind it and the the what like I said what you how you want your horse to feel um with the techniques that you're using cuz yeah different techniques are going to create a different mindset in your horse of Do I want my horse to be thinking about moving their feet? Do I want my horse to be learning how to quiet their feet or their mind? Or are we working on the feet today? Are we working on the mind today? And yeah, just keep all of that in mind as you, as you kind of pick through different techniques and styles that work for you. So,
0: oh yeah, for sure. You can't keep changing up your why, because your horse is going to be so effing confused. (laughs) Like they're just going to be like, "What, what the heck? They'll never, they'll never learn that way if you come at it with a different mindset behind it so yeah because for me um like when I think about cherry picking some of Clint Anderson style I will never come at it with that same energy level that he does because I don't want the response that his horses give but I like some of the practices right so when I'm thinking about this particular situation where my mare's been getting um pretty active and pretty stressed at the trailer it's like well instead of it, like, if I change that up, and instead of making her just stand there and figure it out, it's like, well, I could actually help her with this by moving her feet by giving her something to do that she could think about, instead of worrying about everything else that's going on, just give her a job to do, because I know for me, when I'm in a high anxiety state, it's like, that's the best thing for me, give me a job, I will 100% happily do the job versus sit there in a awkward social situation, right. Um we've talked about a couple of these before i think maybe let's pick three more what do you think and then call it good so one thing um one thing i want to touch on is if you have to sell a horse you're a failure um this is one that i hear a lot uh, that i do want to touch on because Cameron and i have talked about it maybe this will be the only one we talk about <laughs> now and just be done but um just realize if you have to sell your horse because they are not working out, you are not a failure. It just didn't work out. And you might as well give that horse an opportunity to excel with somebody else. Who's going to be a better fit for them. than try to battle through it yourself and give you both in a lose, lose situation where your horse isn't going to be able to excel as much as they are. And you're not going to be able to excel as much as you can, because you guys just are not a good fit. And it's, it. Can, it feels like a failure when you have to make that decision and it can be very emotional but in the long run it's it's the best thing i had a gelding most talented horse i've probably ever owned so talented he literally could do everything that i wanted him to do but he and i personality wise we did not get along he was just just we just didn't get along personality wise we could never connect no matter what we did and it just wasn't working because of that disconnection we had um we couldn't excel in in any of the things that we tried and so i did have to make the decision to rehome him to a place that he could excel where he would get the kind of attention and be with the personality that he would actually mesh with better and so i could then open up my doors to my mare who i get along with great you know like yes we have our rocky moments but personality wise she and I really click we trust each other we we work well together so we can actually excel in different areas that my gelding and I no matter the talent of either of us could ever have done but if I hadn't allowed myself to let him go to somewhere where he could excel I wouldn't be the rider that I am today either because I wouldn't have been able to work with a horse that actually meshes well with me either
1: yeah and even from a a financial perspective as well um i think some people feel like they're failing their horse if they have to sell it because they can't afford it anymore and i don't think that at all i mean if if you can't afford to feed your horse good quality hay and they're getting skinny and they're sitting in a stall or they're they're in a place that's not very suitable for a horse because you can't afford to keep them anywhere else Um, And things like that. Um, Your horse is going to be a lot better off. And you are too, because you're going to be able to afford taking care of your kids if you have kids or taking care of yourself more. Um, And then that horse is going to be able to go somewhere else and thrive, like you said, as well. So It is very normal to go through phases in life, whether it is with your skill level with your horse or your compatibility with your horse. And because some people sell their horses as well, because they have kind of like we talked about with Chelsea, they have moved on to a higher skill level or a higher, uh, like to an event that one horse is going to not be very good at, that they need a new or different horse for that event. Um, And so I think it's very important to just keep in mind both sides of it, not just your emotional attachment to a horse or your guilt that, you know, it should be my forever horse. Um, Do what's right in this moment right now, not what you thought 10 years ago or five years ago or two years ago when you bought the horse. You know, if situations have changed and you thought it was going to be your forever horse and it's not, that's okay. So for, for all those different reasons.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I I do feel like there's a lot of shame around this topic right now, and I think it's a very unfair shame because yeah. situations change. People change, horses change. It's part of the growth process. Beings are meant to change, and it doesn't like yes, you can come at it with the most wonderful expectations. But that doesn't mean you're not going to change as a person or your life isn't going to change in some way or the horse isn't going to change in some way. That just means that it no longer fits. It's like with any relationship, you know, I'm not going to be best friends with my best friend in kindergarten because we've both changed, you know, even though we're like, we're going to be best friends for life. It's like, yeah, I haven't even talked to that person that I was best friends with in kindergarten ever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's been lots of years. But we just, you grow and you grow apart just like with any other relationship and and you are not a failure and you should not feel shamed if you have to make that decision. Yeah,
1: for sure. So should we end on a lighter note because I want to hear your perspective on this one? Yes. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Shaving off manes. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, Okay.
0: So I'm still like on the fence with this one. I just recently shaved off my mare's mane and by golly, it took me about a month to actually make that decision of me going, Camry, I think I want to do this. And her going, do it. And I'm like, "Ah." then sending her, I think I want to do this. Do it. Yeah. It took me a minute. (laughs) Um, The reason I did was because my Mustang right now is chewing on everything. So he's chewed off her tail. He's chewed off her mane. So her mane was just a mess. Um, and it was bugging me. Every time I looked at her, it just made me kind of (laughs) angry that, ah, here's another, you know, like I, I worked really hard with her actually, because she had no mane when I got her. So I spent the last three years really growing her mane and tail out, worked really hard. And in one day that Mustang had her floor length tail completely chewed off to the bone and her mane in chunks. Like it so it was was very hard for me to handle. And I always thought that people who cut manes, I mean, they were just insane. Like why would you do that? Because long manes are beautiful and flowy. Um so I just shaved her mane and I'm kind of in mourning about it to be honest. So <laughs>
1: so you're not quite ready to talk about it yet. You're like, <laughs> I want to change my perspective on it, but I'm not sure yet. <laughs> yes.
0: I mean, luckily, she's got a good enough top line. She doesn't look stupid, you know. Um, and I I actually I haven't hated it. And looking at her, it just looks like her mane's on one side or one, on the other, depending on which side you're on. She doesn't look dorky or anything. And and if anything, it almost makes her look like she has a better top line because it does stand up a little bit. So it gives her that, like, nice, full-looking neck. So I'm finding some positives. But, again, I'm, I'm still mourning. <laughs> I'm mourning that I had <laughs> to do it. But I'm at least not looking at her and feeling ir- irritated every time I look at her because her mane's in, in, in a mess. So... There's my two cents on that one. <laughs> but I'm like, my horse is bald, no mane, no tail. One <laughs> one guy, when I was at the arena the other day, was making fun of her tail. I'm like, I know, don't talk to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm already upset. <laughs> I've been upset for like a year, okay. <laughs> oh. But yes, what do you think about shaving manes? I mean, obviously you were pushing me to do it, so you probably don't have as much of a, <laughs> a
1: well, thing as I do. <laughs> My friend that had her horse here for a while, she roached her horse's mane. (laughs) And uh, he just looked so handsome with it. Because he (laughs) had really thick hair, for one thing. So uh, it just, I mean, he could have hair four inches long and it would still be standing straight up. And it would not be falling over onto his neck. And so it really did. It gave him a lot of, just a pretty shape to the top of his neck. And kind of like you said, his neck shape was already... He already had a nice arch neck with a, a de- decent top line, um, but it just accentuated that and just made him look so handsome. Um, so, and then I've just loved, you know, when you see the uh, fjords with like designs cut into their Mohawk manes, and I've just always thought roaching can look kind of cool depending on the horse. So, but like thinking of it with Freya, <laughs> I'm like different when it's oh, your own horse, huh? No. <laughs> I don't want to cut her mane off. (laughs) Well, her baby chewed off part of her tail at one point. And I was so sad about it because literally the week before I had unwrapped her tail and it was the first time I had unwrapped it since having a baby. So I think it had been like two months or something like that since I had unwrapped her tail. So I didn't know how long it was. And I unwrapped it and her tail had a good four inches dragging on the ground. And I was like, yes, like she is gaining so much length. And last year I had an experience with Freya where she, it was before she, um, where I stopped riding her. So I think she was a couple months pregnant and she, I backed her up and her tail came out of the knot that I had it in. She stepped on it and yanked a huge chunk of hair out of her tail. So ever since then, I have been very stickler on like making sure it stays above the ground um, if it's unwrapped so that she does not step on it and yank her entire tail out. So anyway, so her, her tail was like four inches on the ground. So I chopped it off about an inch or two above the ground to make sure she wasn't going to step on it. And then it just gives it that nice full look at the bottom too. And I, uh, I didn't have time to let it fully dry before it got late in the evening. So instead of wrapping her tail back up, I just left it loose for the night. Famous mm-hmm. last thing. <laughs> uh-huh. And then the next day there was a huge section chewed out of her tail and I was so mad. I was so mad. Um, but you know what? It's a tail. I have a girl back. Yeah, that's what I can It's telling just myself. a tail.
0: <laughs> I told my husband the other day, I'm like, you know what? actually I'm I'm releasing that hope that Sandy will ever have a tail again because as long as we have this Mustang, I don't think she will. Because <laughs> yeah. gosh, this guy chews through everything. And I, I'm like, I put out board and busters. He has toys to play with. He's has, hay. he, yeah, we have, uh, we have posts that are half chewed through that are brand new posts that I put in last spring. Like <laughs> This horse love him to death. Luckily his teeth are fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he hasn't worn through them yet, huh? <laughs>
0: no, but he just, he chews on everything. So I only tie like he only gets lead ropes that are about five buck lead ropes because he chews through them in about one afternoon setting. If he, if he has to be tied up, so he doesn't get nice things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think let's stop there. We have a lot more to go through, but we can, we can always do a part two.
1: (laughs) Yep. We will do that. So thanks for listening guys. If you have any fun, perspectives that you have shifted over the years leave us a voice message or a comment and let us know
0: also if you like our podcast leave us a review it would be very helpful for us to hear how you like it um and help us get get seen by other people who might find it as useful as you do
1: yeah we will talk to you guys next week
0: Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.